Scott Thompson show, Anthony Urcioli filling in for Scott. Daryl Bricker, CEO of Global Affairs with Ipsos, joins us with Fall Fast approaching. So does an election, taking a look at the latest polls, how they've been affected by our Ontario Premier. SNC-Lavin and all those things happening and how it's affected those numbers. Also, we're talking weddings, tis the season, wedding etiquette. Also, an intervention of sorts for a employee, fellow employee here at CHML who is engaged. And outrage at Disney over the casting of a black actress as Ariel in the live-action Little Mermaid movie. We'll talk about that as well with Leanne Lindsay, who's the editor at Tinsel and Tie, and she's an expert on entertainment. We'll get her take on that as well. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I feel like we're just we're in this mode of like election, you know, pre-election uh, campaigning stuff for so long. Although ours is nothing compared to the states, obviously. But it's kind of, it gets a little surreal as you get closer to the election. Um, I don't know, I think it's like 14, a little over 14 weeks away. Uh, So it's definitely fast approaching. Joining us now, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. And uh, hey, Daryl, how you doing? Great, Anthony. How are you? I'm good. The elections, it's creeping up on us. Yeah, it's it's like uh, slowly creeping up. It's uh, I don't think a lot of people have noticed. I don't think we've moved into election mode yet. But uh, yeah, it's going to be upon us before we know it. So can we expect? Uh, are we going to get a July poll uh, polling out shortly? Oh, I expect there's going to be a lot of polling that's going to be coming out. It, it tends not to matter as much until you get after Labor Day. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, after Labor Day, I expect everybody's going to be coming out with uh, uh, an assessment of where we are going into the what, what, what will be at that stage about six or seven weeks into the actual election day. So um, uh, right now, I think you, uh, you're you assessing the uh, the horses before they uh, before they actually make it to the starting line. Yeah, I think what is interesting, and, and for people, I mean, I don't know who's following polls yet. I'm sure a lot of people are because it's something, especially if you have a horse in the race, so to speak, and it almost does become like a sport a little bit because, you know, we are polling for certain candidates, uh, most of us, but... The last poll that Ipsos had out had the Conservatives with a six-point lead on the Liberals. Uh, have you noticed a shift? And, and I know SNC-Lavalin was a hot point for... Sometimes we, in the media especially, we, we focus on these controversies. And of course, that was a big one. But you always wonder, how much is the pu- general public actually paying attention to? Did you Have you noticed a shift before and after SNC-Lavalin? Oh yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was a very big impact on liberal support. So one of the comments that I would hear quite a bit from my journalist friends in Ottawa is, you know, this is an inside the Beltway story. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, and the reason that it wasn't was because it was so contrary to what they expected from a prime minister who would be different. Mm. And then the second thing, it was a human drama. So it wasn't just about the legal issues that the people in Ottawa who were really close to it might think it is is about. It's basically a he said, she said. And on the he said, she said element, she was ahead of him by two to one. So, you know, all of these things add up into something that really substantially undercuts, uh, undercut at that time the Liberal Party's support and, you know, the bottom dropped out. Now, they may have recovered a couple of points since then, but uh, the impact has been lasting. Do you notice... um just in the current state things are is there a difference between you know when you look at 
polls differently. You look at the parties versus parties and then leaders versus leaders. Do you notice a difference in the leadership polls versus the party polls? Yeah. Uh, so for the parties, the party polls, um, they're, uh, the parties are pretty much as you see them. <laughs> you know, we've got uh, you know fairly consistent pattern in which the conservative party is ahead. Uh, and depending on the poll, it could be anywhere from two points to 10 points. Uh, and uh, the Liberal Party's uh, pretty strongly stuck in second place. Uh, as I said, the gap varies. NDP in third, and then the Greens seem to be moving up, although we've had a, at least one poll recently that's shown the Greens ahead of the NDP. Quite frankly, I find that hard to believe, but uh, we've at least seen that. When it comes to the leaders, there's really only a poll about one person, and that's about the Prime Minister himself. So everything that you're seeing in, in politics in the, in, uh, in the country right now is a, is a reaction to the Prime Minister specifically, as opposed to the Liberal Party generally, or to the Conservative Party and its leader or anything else. So what you're seeing is a reaction to that. So, for example, Andrew Scheer, people, and I've seen polls, and we've had them, that have actually shown them ahead of, uh, shown uh, him ahead of, of Justin Trudeau at the, you know, the real depths of the, uh, of the SNC-Lavalin scandal. That's not because people actually know anything about Andrew Scheer. It's, it's the reaction to Justin Trudeau. Do you know, uh, Sheer's always, you know, and this is kind of the talking point leading up to the election is, you know, does Sheer have enough? Is there just enough there as a person? You know, is the charisma there? Are Do any polls at least show you that? And I know very early on, it was almost like, who who is, I don't know who Andrew Sheer is. Do you at least notice as we get closer, there is, he is, beca- uh, notoriety is becoming more apparent with Andrew Sheer? No, um, and not so far. In fact, when you ask people about Andrew Scheer, you notice the attributes that the party has, what people feel about the, the Conservative Party, are really seen as his attributes. And interestingly enough, it's the opposite for Justin Trudeau, where the Liberal Party is really seen as a reflection of his attributes. So uh, Andrew Scheer gets a lift from the fact that, uh, that he's a Conservative right now and they're the obvious alternative to the government. And the Liberal Party is affected positively or negatively, depending on where Justin Trudeau's own personal numbers are uh, relative to uh, public opinion. And your sampling is is mostly done online, correct? Yeah, we do both. Okay. Do you notice a difference in, and I'm only thinking in terms, oh, so let me just, so do you do like, do you call people and then get them online or is it kind of just a blind online poll? call that push to web. No, uh, no, we we do, uh, basically what I call is kind of like a four corner approach. So we, uh, we call people on cell phone, we call people on landline, but then we also combine it with people that we find on our own panel plus people we find on the Internet generally. Okay. So it's, uh, it's really trying to deal with the issue of the fact that there's no one specific way to get a hold of people these days. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, Daryl Brooker is with us, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. Everyone, you know, Doug Ford, his popularity just completely went downhill, uh, downhill here in Ontario. And it seems to have reflected in a lot of polls, people's attitudes towards the federal conservatives. Um, have you noticed that in your polling? Yeah, there's, I think there's a bit of a spillover in terms of branding. Uh, but as we get closer to the election campaign, uh, and as people get to know Andrew Scheer and the Conservative Party specifically on their own, uh, just as Doug Ford wouldn't be a reflection of what people thought about uh, in his campaign, wasn't a reflection of what people thought about Stephen Harper. Uh, to a certain extent, Andrew Scheer will be able to stand apart from that. But what ends up happening is because 
it's a little difficult to differentiate between a provincial conservative, progressive conservative, and a federal conservative. There is that spillover branding effect. Mm. Uh, and some of the positives that Andrew Scheer could count on from being a conservative have turned a bit more negative. So, it, yeah, it's an uphill struggle for him. Uh, when you bring the provincial government into it. You know, the environment seems to be a hot-button topic this year especially, and not even just in Canada, just with where we are in the world right now um, with with climate, with the environment. Do you see that playing a large role? I mean, we see you mentioned the Greens were showing ahead of NDP in some polls. Is that a reflection of people being a little more worried about the environment maybe this year than they have been in past elections? A little bit, but not as much as we think. So uh, the environment, um, I know that there's a lot of media talk about it. There's a lot of you know, expert talk about the environment. The public is generally overall concerned about the environment, but not specifically, if you know what I mean. So when you go and you ask people what's the most important issue facing the country, the environment comes in at four or five. Climate change comes in at four or five. Hmm. If you go and you ask it globally, since you did mention the world, we do a poll every month in 26 countries around the world. On a list of 20, it comes in at about 12 to 14. Wow. So there's a whole bunch of other really personal issues that people are more concerned about. It's things that happen outside their front door. So while they're, they're you know, generally concerned about um, the environment and climate change and they want somebody to do something about it, uh, when you look at their day-to-day life, they really don't think that the Canadian government can do very much about it, and they certainly don't think that they can do very much about it, personally. Mm. So that's always the problem on the climate change issue. And then when you get into a situation where you start talking about climate uh, or carbon taxes or increasing expenses related to dealing with climate change, when people feel it's not going to have a big effect, what it starts to hit on is, is an issue that the Conservatives do very much better on than the Liberals, which is taxes. And people believe in that taxes taxes are too high, so it, it's it's a very interesting conflict that happens on the climate issue. The, the liberals talking about the existential threat and trying to do something, and the conservatives talking about what the effect is going to be on your pocketbook. Uh, you notice the liberals have backed down a little bit the last little while on this, and the reason is because that's a pretty difficult fight to win. Mm. And then then what is it with the green? Is the Green Party's uh, the Green Party? There's some people who are, are interested in the Green Party um, because they're truly interested in the environment, but it's not as many as we think. Uh, what we often see on polls, and this is uh, an artifact of actually asking, do you support the Green Party as one of the party choices, is you get a people who are weakly attached to the political system under any of the, any of the political parties that perceive them as a none of the above. Mm. You know, they haven't really wrecked anything, so why don't we give them a chance? So what we typically see in, in polling, and it may change in this election campaign, what we typically see in the national polling is that the Green Party does about twice uh, what it actually does on election day on polls. So they tend to get way over-reported on polling, but they actually perform less. So in the last election campaign, the Green Party, I think, got five or six. There were some polls showing them at 10. Well, they didn't get close. Uh, so the question is, can they convert any of that interest into votes? Uh, they've been unsuccessful. And what? How do the polls reflect the uh, leadership of the NDP with Singh? Yeah, his numbers are definitely down. Uh, back down to the level that uh, actually probably below where Mulcair was. Mm. So, um, you know, he's not uh, really generated a lot of uh, a lot of support, additional support for the NDP. Currently not seen as the alternative uh, to the Liberal Party. 
uh, and certainly not challenging uh, Justin Trudeau as the standard bearer for the progressive movement. So uh, he's he's definitely needs the election campaign to resuscitate himself. I thought it was interesting. One of the polls uh, you released, Canadians say the country's human rights record is more important than potential economic benefit to Canada when dealing with foreign countries. So placing human rights above the economic benefit when uh, dealing with other countries. Uh, I guess that surprised me a little bit, only in the fact that I think... I always assume when you talked about your list of issues that people are most concerned with, economy, and I'm not positive, I'm, I, I'd be pretty confident, economy is pretty high up there. Mm-hmm. Well, and the reason for that is because they may not necessarily know what the economic benefits are to uh, uh, any particular foreign relationship, but they certainly know how they feel about being a Canadian if somebody is, our government is supporting somebody who violates human rights. So um, I think probably because it's a bit more personal, and, and there's no cost to actually saying that. If you if you actually ask them about their own job being affected, it might change. Do you ever do any kind of polls outside of maybe like Canadians' attitudes towards um, other governments, maybe Trump and different leaders? Oh yeah, Trump. Trump would get killed here. Yeah, he gets the worst number. I've been, I've been doing this since the '80s. He he gets the worst numbers for any president I've ever seen. Yeah, and I guess that's why we see with. You know, our federal government, the, I, I know people will accuse conservatives of, of taking pages out of the Trump playbook, but uh, according, I mean, just based on the numbers, no one even wants that. So the conservatives wouldn't even bother going there. Well, you know, there's always, uh, you know, 15% of the population that would admire what Donald Trump is doing, just as, you know, there is, uh, you know, there was a group that admired what George W. Bush was doing or whatever. There's, a, there's a, always a rump that's out there. Uh, but they're not a decisive uh, element of, uh, of of any election. All right, Daryl Brooker, when can we expect uh, the next poll to come out? Oh, stay tuned. All right, sounds good. Pins, pins and needles, I'm sure we'll get it soon. Daryl Brooker, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Anthony. All right, the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. I am one of those nerds that does look at the polls because it's just it it is it does feel like a sport sometimes because you're kind of cheering. Uh, for different candidates, and you're following along in that way. Um, you're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So this is uh, I I don't it's not intervention because that's that's too far. That's pushing it a little too far. But uh, there's been some inner dialogue, Keegan. First of all, I want to say I watched your 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 proposal video. Oh, thank you, thank you. I tried to describe it, and I just completely botched the whole thing because <laughs> I, I don't know where you were you're on a stage yeah well i was at the sanderson center in uh, brantford and what's uh, the sanderson center the sanderson center is this big beautiful almost theater. like antique looking theater it's okay. got it's you know got the uh big paintings on the on the ceilings everything's just you know just very bougie in there you know <laughs> and uh uh, I, uh, my, my lovely fiance, I can say that now. You can. Um, she was, uh, maybe uh, don't say it exactly that way, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> she, she had her dance recital there and she's a teacher. She's not, she, she, she is a, a teacher. She's a, yes. She's not in the dance. She's, she's, she's not yeah. a teenager yeah. in the dance. Yes. We she's should clarify a, that. Uh, a studio director for Broadway bound dance studios oh, okay. in Bidbrook. All right. And that's where they hold their recital every year. And I thought, what a perfect place to to propose that yeah. in front of a crowd of people who are just going to love her and absolutely adore her. Yeah, so Olivia, that- can you not yawn into the microphone <laughs> when heard, he's telling a story? I heard this story I, about like 
50 you, times. She's been rolling her eyes this whole time. Yeah. This is going to be so great because, well, Keegan, go, continue. I'm I'm into the story. Oh, go good, ahead. Good. Go ahead. Well, in front of a crowd of like over 1,200 people, I- uh, 1,200? 1,200. See, when I described the story, I said like maybe like 100. Yeah, it was See, I didn't 12, do it. I didn't do it justice. That's a lot of people. Yeah, and so that was a lot of people if she said You're in your no. cute suit. <laughs> yeah, in my so nice in cute blue suit. suit. And uh, and I nailed the knee. I nailed that one knee. Yeah. And I uh, which I, knee was it, left or right? It was my left knee. Okay. And I did a pant pull too. I, okay. Uh, up you the see, pants you didn't right say there was a knee. pant pull. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, got down and I and I popped the question. And the best part of the whole video was the reaction of the kids, the the screaming that they did, yes. and, and the crowd lost it. That that's what made the proposal so special. I, I just think. want to clarify again: your fiance is not one of the students that was in the. It, <laughs> The t- no. It's the teacher. We <laughs> yeah, want teacher, to clarify. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she said yes. And she said yes. Yes. No, like fear that I had a that, I had a the, thought right before it's, I went it's on. Risky. Yeah. Where would I go if she said no? It is risky for anybody. I mean, but it'd you, be the best like viral video. You yeah. would still have to post it. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so but I yes. I also know her well enough to know that even if she did say no, she would have said yes in that moment. And then said no later. That's how you know she's a, she's a good woman. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. She's willing to lie for you. Uh, <laughs> Olivia's been shaking her head and, and yawning and rolling her eyes the whole time. What's wrong with it's you? It's, I've heard it like a million times. Yeah, but the, and not, I heard it like Imagine for a second. Happened. The segment wasn't just for you who's heard it already. There's, like, it's I mean, a there's millions story. listening. I know. It's, yeah. it's an amazing story. But when you're in the office and like every employee that walks by and he's like, well, and then they they're come They're asking in. him though. I know. And it's just, it's, <laughs> and then he shows the ring. The ring lived in our office for like a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, it was yeah. Yeah. After the fact? No, before. He got it made. and then What if someone told her? What if there was a leak? Nobody knew. I would have said something. <laughs> I don't know her, but I would have said something because it would have been funny. So, okay. Yeah, so how's the engagement going? Yeah. What? Yeah. So, but then I guess, so the, the, right away, Olivia had to make sure that she had some input for it, some advice, some friendly <laughs> advice, <laughs> because you thought, you thought maybe we'll get married for like a thousand dollars. Yeah. I was like, what, what would be a good budget? And, and I was tossing <laughs> up, you know. I was tossing up numbers, and a thousand dollars came to the top of my mind, and I was like, I think I could do it for a thousand dollars. And what did Olivia say? Uh, Clean it up for for the radio. I don't. I didn't hear any words through the <laughs> laughter. I was yeah. I was like, you're crazy. I was like, how many people? Eight. How many people do you want? Because that's the big thing. And I was like, you're gonna get nothing for a thousand dollars. Like the dress is usually a thousand dollars. Plus, you gotta rent your suit, buy your rings, flowers, DJ limo. Venue. What if he doesn't do any of that stuff, though? Well, he can just go to City Hall, and a little, technically, like you're married when you go get that marriage certificate, and then they just have to sign it. But you could do that. You you could do it for a thousand dollars if you just went to City Hall and then went to a place with like fifty people. And went to like McDonald's for well, your dinner. Not, yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be. You know, it'd be great. The Mandarin. The ma- Mandarin. Yeah. Wedding Mandarin buffet. Ceremony, buffet for yeah. I yeah. actually did that. A little while ago, I went to uh, there was a ceremony <laughs> at a city hall, yeah. and then right after they went to the Mandarin for dinner, and it they all do ceremonies at city hall. But he's like, we're that. gonna plan well, it they, here. We had and to go to Cambridge. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's like, we're gonna plan it here, and then we're gonna have cocktails, and then we're gonna go to this venue. And he's like, yeah, for like a thousand dollars. And I was like, oh, okay, and no. You don't even like the idea of having to go to two different places. Yeah. So. I am Catholic, so I'm used to the like eleven o'clock. You were raised Catholic, yeah. I mean, raised let's, Catholic. Let's calm down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, like I'm used to the eleven o'clock weddings, and then the drawn out to like five or six. So, but your husband is your husband Italian? 
No. You are. Well, yes. No, you're obviously not so the last we, name. we chose not to do a Catholic wedding, and we actually did the one-stop shop. So we got married at the Scottish Rite. We wanted something different, mm-hmm. unique. Then they had cocktails. We did our pictures, and then we did the reception. So we did the one. I wanted truly the one-stop shop because I ours was February. We didn't know if there was going to be a snowstorm, so we just wanted everyone to be there mm. and stay there. All right. So what... I'm not going to ask you how much you spent, but let's just say $1,000 made you scoff. So Yeah, like I think my dress was 1200 which I thought was a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. Um, alterations ended up being more, I think, than the dress because that's where they get you. Yeah. But yeah, uh, $1,000, I don't think can get you that far. <laughs> All right. Yeah. There's a lot of tips. Are you thinking like, like I'm even w- wondering for 1000 like were you even thinking, like are you, your guests going to eat or what? <laughs> Here's a couple <laughs> crackers and some well, cheese. You yeah, cut your own cheese? Yeah. That was another option was, uh, was <laughs> like. no food? <laughs> no, well, well, we were thinking uh, possibly, I don't know, you know, what you can, I've only been to, to like a handful of weddings. But I've never been to a wedding that had a potluck, and maybe that's that. Everyone brings oh, their own food. Yeah. <laughs> he goes. Yeah, I'm never potluck. coming to that. <laughs> not that I'm invited, but in general, I'm never coming to that wedding. And he goes, I'm like absolutely not. And then he's like, Yeah, we we're thinking of maybe doing the dinner at eight o'clock. And I was like, My face dropped, and I was like, Keegan, absolutely not. People will be. I'm in ke- bed by eight. I was like, People will be losing their minds. Like six thirty, the latest. I go. But wouldn't by- it be better if you didn't say anything and just let him do this wedding? It would have <laughs> been fun. You it would be different. <laughs> I know, but different. you just can't eat at Wedding at 11 a.m., you know, <laughs> dinner at 8, you, and then I come back from the party at 11 p.m., you know? <laughs> yeah. I was just like, eight. I was like, you could not have dinner at 8 o'clock. I got invited to a family Christmas dinner once. I In the email, I read potluck. I deleted it. I didn't go. Instantly didn't go to the... What? What is it? Why don't I just go and make my own dinner? Why don't I just go boil some, some pasta and have my own dinner at home then? What, what am I coming there for? Yeah, um, I guess. I, yeah, that's I'm a good just, point. That's a good that's point. Just, but that's just me. I, I'm annoyed when I get have to go to any any kind of wedding invitation because uh, I feel like then there's a responsibility on me. See, I do like the fact that, minus the potluck part, yeah. there's not a lot of pressure on your guests in this scenario. Like, how much would they have to put in an envelope for you? Like, yeah, it would. If you're, if you're spending a thousand bucks, they're gonna put like a, they can put like a quarter in there, and that pretty much. If they're bringing their own food, they're not bringing an envelope. Yeah, that's that, what that's, they're bringing. Yeah, I guess that's kind of like the trade-off. Is like we would, <laughs> you know, they wouldn't have to really bring a gift, but they would bring a, you know, pumpernickel bread or something mm. like that. You know? <laughs> a big old batch of pumpernickel. That's not the worst idea. <laughs> All right, I'm excited for this. Is there like a date set for this wedding? We we were hoping to do it on. We were hoping, as well as probably eighty billion other people on um, valentine's day uh no no <laughs> yeah on valentine's <laughs> day june june 20th 2020 because uh, it just sounds so cool you know but yeah did olivia have an issue with the, the date? no but i said good luck with that because we're already yeah. a year like how far less in advance than a year. you have to book well i said if you want summer you should have booked like six months ago for right. next year because right. a lot of places are booked up and i said if you want it you should really book it now but that's that's another question is like do we you know do it in one year or can we take the year and can we save up and then do it in 2021 yeah, prolonged uh, engagement yeah yeah you can do i think when you're engaged you can do whatever you want it's, it's the comfort level when you're ready to says get the person that's been critical of every decision yeah, I, that's, I planned a wedding in thing. six months so and i i'm like i did it whenever i mention like the like a pro a prolonged engagement to someone it's a different reaction from from someone mm. Uh, because like there's people that are like, don't wait, just do it in a year. And then there's other people like, save your money, don't be, you know, don't be broke. Once yeah, but you... well, I don't know what difference it makes. Yeah, it's up to exactly. you, whatever yeah, you want to yeah, do. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe just elope and then 
That's how you save. And your then money. you know what? Do you should do a Halloween party. Don't don't tell people, and they all come in their costumes, and then you get married. Ah, that'd be so. Have you not well, heard of those? those another another option that I was thinking was a pop up wedding where. Pretty you just much show we up have, somewhere? Yeah, yeah. We just have a board, like a spin the wheel kind of thing. And, you know, spin it. It lands on, you know, in front of City Hall, City Hall or something like that. <laughs> That's and we up. go there. We do it before the cops show what up. Options and then we go. <laughs> <laughs> what other options? Well, like like graveyard on there? Too? Yeah, like graveyard. It's, it's got to be fun. fun uh, like, in the middle of Lakeland Cartway. Barton Street Jail. You know, Barton yeah, Street right jail, in front yeah. of the Barton Street Jail. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Hamilton strip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that still? I don't think yeah. that's around anymore. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I don't, I'm not that guy. Uh, all right. So Olivia's married. She yes. has one child. Yes. She's pregnant with her second. Yes. I am so paranoid of asking women if they're pregnant that like Olivia is so obviously pregnant right now. Like her belly's just. But like I still would wouldn't ask. And so she's like, so you didn't ask about my, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to ever, even though you told me you're pregnant, I'm still not going to ask. And it's funny because I was downstairs at reception and Paul Tipple was walking down the stairs in his head. He's like, boy, does she look pregnant? But he didn't say yeah, anything Yeah, this is the thing. No me. one wants to say it. <laughs> so she's looking quite pregnant there. By the way, you're brave going for the second pregnancy because I know your first pregnancy sounded like this child that you have, Max. Yes. Better be so appreciative. I know of what you went through yes. to have him. <laughs> yes, I. Uh, yeah, I uh, lived in the hospital for six weeks with him. After uh, you had him? No. Well, no. While well, I was while pregnant, you were pregnant yeah, right. to only be told I was misdiagnosed with what they thought I had. So I was released. Yeah, but just to get pregnant. Well, just for pregnant. So we went through fertility just to get pregnant, and I had a lot of complications with him. Um, but he turned out to be a healthy, healthy baby, and had. Went for a second pregnancy, had a lot of complication, miscarried, and then now on our technically third pregnancy. And so far, so good. Fingers crossed. I um, said third time's a charm. And yeah, but they always say the second child is what tests a marriage. Mm. Because with one child, one parent can take them and the other one can rest. But when you have two... There's no yeah. free hands. So they always say the second one is the test of the marriage. Well, did you spend more... On the wedding or the fertility and, tr- and trying to get the pregnant? wedding, technically, but the fertility is almost up there. It's just, it's, yeah, you really wanted a child. I did, child. and he's so cute, yeah. and I love. I just him. wonder if he's going to appreciate it. That's, he my, that's will. my concern. He's so loving, and he hugs me. And he says, <laughs> "Mummy." <and laughs> How old Daddy, is he though? He's two. Well, I know, but he's such he, a mama's give boy. Give like ten years. I know then. he'll never talk to me and be like, "Ill mom." Get you're going to you're going to be one of those like overbearing <laughs> Italian mothers too. No, my mother's like that to him. I'm getting like uh, every morning getting PTSD thinking of, of every mine. morning. There's breakfast prepared for him at my parents' house. Oh, so your parents take? Oh, that's good. Yeah, so yeah. they watch they him. Chip but in. Yeah. Uh, big golf tournament coming up. Yes, next Thursday. You are the what is your title with the the children? vice president of the children's fund? Okay, so tell us about this golf tournament. So it's our ninth annual golf tournament. Our golf tournament raises roughly around twenty to twenty five thousand dollars a year, and that all goes back into the children's fund. So it's at Flamborough Hills. Golf and Country Club. Shotgun is one o'clock. We still have openings, so you can go online or give uh, the office a call here to register for some or to some or just be a single golfer. Fun day. We have a trip to Dominican to give away from mm. uh, Transat and TripCentral.ca, and that's just for registering for the uh, course. So once you register, you're in for the draw. We draw at dinner time. Really great um, tournament. Very fast pace. You're out. You're there for like for noon for lunch. One o'clock shotgun, and I usually have you out by seven thirty. And f- is there food there? Yeah. So you get lunch. And you know, dinner. I only show up if there's food. Yeah, and there's and we've got some whole sponsors that will have food as well. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. 
Sounds good. And the Children's Fund, in case, I mean, it's been around for so long, mm-hmm. but you never know, people might not know. But the Children's Fund is essentially kind of an umbrella type organization that disperses yeah, funds so to different charities in the yeah, area. Yeah, so charities, children's charities in the area, we've been around for 43 years. We've donated over $5.7 million to the Hamilton community, Burlington communities. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Keegan, yes. good luck. Thank yes, you, good thank luck, you. Keegan. <laughs> yeah. I'm well, here for support all the time. Uh, yeah, Advice. except when she yawned. Like I I should have yawned when she was I'm talking about. No, don't, don't start. <laughs> and I have a two-year-old Keegan's two-year-old telling his engagement me. story and all I hear is uh, in I the background. <laughs> I know. It's so hard to stay awake and it's so hot out. <laughs> you sound Everything sounds great. Yeah. Everything sounds great. All right. All right. Thanks that's, for having us, that's, Anthony. That's it's a, always a joy. That's enough of you too. Scott Thompson show. While we're talking wedding stuff, and I don't have, by the way, do I not have a lot of experience? I have no experience in the actual getting married process. However, I've been to enough and I work with enough people who have, who used to be married, who are currently married, um, who are getting married soon. And we're getting a bunch of different perspectives here because the polling would indicate that people there, there's no, there's no, there are no rules here. There's no black and white answers to any of this. According to an Ipsos poll, Canadians say a realistic price tag for a wedding is eight thousand nine hundred dollars. But that's a far cry from the thirty thousand that people are actually spending. So people are expecting to spend nine, and they're spending thirty. And I know our very own Laura Hampshire. <laughs> Our news anchor has been married once. Worst, <laughs> worst, sounds- worst year of my life. I'll tell you that. I'm did, not lying. <laughs> did you spend eight grand or thirty grand on your wedding? Oh, I think you know what we were. We we were pretty frugal. I think we tried to get the whole one stop shop, like everything done at the same place, where you had the ceremony and you had the dinner and mm. everything. But I think it still cost us. About fifteen grand. Fifteen, I think. And it's, you didn't even want you. And then I didn't even. You do didn't any, even like the no, wedding. I didn't. You I didn't thought, even keep it. I did. I said yes. I said okay instead of I do. True oh. story. I know it should have been a red flag, right? Like yeah, he had, for he, you and for him. Yeah, because he had no sense of humor about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it went a year. Yeah, a whole. Year. Well, I left eleven months, three weeks. I couldn't even. I couldn't even celebrate the end. Like, it was just that bad. I, I like that we're getting all angles on the wedding discussion. <laughs> it worked for some people, but not for everyone. Right, and that you're not. By the sounds of it, you're not ever taking that plunge oh, again. Oh no, no, no! I always say that it almost killed me because I ended up when I left my husband i think i was about 100 pounds so now i tell people that i'm allergic to marriage <laughs> you 100 pounds like you lost i lost you div- i think it was I, like a stress yeah i lost over 60 pounds or something like that when i was married so oh my gosh yeah it was it was <laughs> truly, it's truly some marriage it almost killed me i was living on a cot in the you, spare room th- this no mice been a came show. To, no, no mice came to make me a dress i'll tell you that i do love my tv drama this although you were in a ton of pain i would have watched the show <laughs> and enjoyed it <laughs> Yeah, well, I learned my lesson quickly. But I always say the first marriage is a dress rehearsal. Okay. <laughs> but you're not going, you're not, ha- there's no, there's no like main act because you're done. You're oh, done. Yeah, you're thrown no, no, in the yeah, towel. Yeah, that's it. Nope. Well, hey, respect that. I am KO'd. This is like, uh, it's, it's the, <laughs> so, well, I, I will, was there like a parental pressure? 
Yeah, there was a, there was really this, absolutely. I, I don't I re- know your parents, but I get the feeling they wouldn't have because they were very like free and no, yeah, music, okay, my parents you know, were musical very, musicians, yeah, hippies. And, yeah, for I, sure. I didn't know whether I could say hippies or not. Yeah, you can say hippies. This is, the, were, the, this is the era we live in. I don't know if that's offensive. Is hippies offensive anymore? I, I don't, don't know. think so. I don't think so because <laughs> that's what my parents were. But I just felt pressure from society. I always mm-hmm. say to young women now, I wish someone had come up to me when I was in my teenage years and said. You don't have to make babies. You don't have to get married. Mm. Nobody ever said that that wasn't an option. That, to me, was what my role was in society as a woman, which, mm-hmm. man, is it certainly feeling like the, <laughs> that nowadays. But it and I nobody ever told me that that wasn't. And even my mom years ago said, I didn't pressure you, did I? And I was like, <laughs> mm, kind of. Because yeah. all moms do that. Oh, I want grandbabies. Mm. You know, when are you going to give me grandbabies? And it, that's pressure in itself. Instead, she got a 90-year-old cat <laughs> as a grandbaby. <laughs> she got a few cats, actually. How, how old is your cat? <laughs> My cat's 20. It's to the point where whenever Laura comes in, she goes, "Nope, cat's not dead yet. It's still alive. It's still not. Kicking. It's not like how's your cat? It's my cat's not dead yet. I'm like, okay, thanks for the update. All right, he lasted that. longer than my marriage, though. Yeah, we we cannot top that. Out on a high note. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Disney is just the center of controversy after controversy, not because they've done anything, but because of who they're casting into uh, certain roles. So I got to admit, like I said before, I, I thought when I, I read it quickly and I, I thought I said Halle Berry was being cast as Ariel, which that I could understand would be odd, an odd choice for Old Mermaid. I mean, does she, I don't think she sings. Uh, but then uh, second take, Halle Bailey, uh, who I didn't know. I must admit I was unaware of. I did some research and uh, very accomplished for being a very young woman. I think she was born in 1990. So I think she's, I believe she's 19. Uh, but she can sing, she can act. Haley and her sister, Chloe, are part of a group called Chloe and Haley. I uh, have some of the music here. I guess they, they both actually opened for Beyonce. Um, they sang at the Super Bowl. So, I, I mean, again, this, you know, we're talking about big deals here. Uh, so here's Hallie with her sister. I isolated most of the Hallie part, but they're singing a cover of Beyonce's Pretty Hurts. This was in 2013, so this would have been, you know, six years ago. So she was a young teen uh, during this. Pretty hurts. Trying to fix something, but you can't fix what you can't see. That's the soul that needs a surgery. So clearly able to sing. So, I mean, we got that down. She can act. So what's the issue? Apparently, it's the color of her skin because everyone knows mermaids, which aren't a thing, are supposed to be white. Apparently. (laughs) But this, it's it's it exploded today. It's all I saw trending um, on social media today. So we'll bring in our guest. Leanne Lindsay is the editor of Tinsel and Tine. She's an expert on entertainment, and she joins us now. Hi, Leanne. Hello. Hi, Anthony. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What is going on with Disney at the center of all these controversies because of the, the skin color of the people they're casting? How about that? I know. We're all just like trying to enjoy our 4th of July, and the next thing you know, you get on Twitter, and it's all uh, it's all a Twitter. <laughs> it is all a Twitter. Um, 
Well, I mean, if you take race out of it for a minute and just look at it from the perspective that we as a film goer, you know, me as a film goer, we really love seeing our favorite Disney animated movies come to life in live action. I mean, we had Emma Watson first. She made the perfect Belle. And we had Emily Blunt. She made the perfect Mary Poppins. And we would have been sorely disappointed, angry even, if Aladdin, who was played by uh, Mina Massad, and Jasmine, played by Naomi Scott, were not cast as people who at least have like a Middle Eastern heritage. And then, of course, Will Smith was accepted as the genie because, one, it was not the lead, and it was going to be hard to fill Robin Williams' shoes, so we needed an actor with his own very distinctive style. So now we get to Ariel and the Little Mermaid, and you think, okay, so the same should apply. We wanted to look exactly, make the cartoon come to life and look like the live action. But no, <laughs> um, this is where we, we can deviate. And, um, you know, I say that for, for two things. One, Halle Bailey most certainly does resemble Ariel. I mean, if you look at her features, her body type, her age, and her personality, and, of course, the fact that she can sing, she should be in the running for this uh, casting. But secondly, and most importantly, the transition for integration in our country has never been smooth, you know, from, you know, the 60s and integrating schools to now integrating Disney in this fashion. And so... People are going to be angry. They, they can be angry. They're allowed to be angry. It moves our country forward. Um, you know, the, you have to have these race narratives every once in a while and discuss it. You know, so much of the last few award seasons, you know, we had Oscars so white, and then you keep going and going and going, and Hollywood is and has to change. And it's important that more stories integrate people of color where their color of their skin actually doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, you know, so I really applaud Disney for saying yes to this controversial decision. Yeah, and you're, you're based in, in Philadelphia, and, and so, you know, happy 4th of July to you. Our, our Canada Day was a few days ago, uh, but we're certainly not ah. immune. We're, we're not immune to the issues that uh, Americans face either because there is a huge influence in Canada with American media, hence why this Ariel thing has uh, kind of been at the forefront even here. And it, the other part of the casting, too, was um, Melissa McCarthy with Ursula. I mean, I like Melissa McCarthy. I don't know if she can sing. Does Ursula need to sing? Probably. Um, but even yeah. even that brought up a, a bit of a debate. Is it just we're at a point where people, you know, we have social media, anyone can have an opinion, and people make sure they let their opinions be heard? Well, I mean, it's the, it's sort of the be beauty of social media, and then at times it is the curse. I mean, I heard that um, Hallie had to take her Twitter account down for a little bit. Yeah, that's, so, that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's crazy. It, to that point, I think it's just unnecessary. I mean, bullying is always unnecessary, and you should be able to have discussions without it getting that heated. Um, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I think Melissa McCarthy will make a hilarious uh, Ursula. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I think that that could work. I mean, the the whole thing is that these characters are animated; they weren't real. They're creatures under the sea. 
So you can really expand your mind any way you want to go with it when you think about it. And on the flip side of that, for years, we had to watch people like Elizabeth Taylor play Cleopatra and Mickey Rourke playing Mr. Yonoshi in Breakfast at Tiffany's. I mean, it went on and on and on right up until Christian Bale started as Moses in Exodus gods and kings and then we pushed back people were like we don't want to see christian bale it's like that's ridiculous put makeup on him you know get an actor that really should play moses so you know if <laughs> excuse me but if white people right now are angry about this good because they've <laughs> had years of being in control so now the world belongs to everybody yeah and you know what's interesting too and and i i think maybe people and you know, as a white man, I maybe don't know what it feels like per se, but I get it. What does it mean to, let's say, a black child, a young girl who sees Ariel as a that you know looks like her? What does that, that do for a that child? Means everything. Yeah, it, it means does. We take so that for much. granted. Yes, it creates your dreams and it allows you to see yourself in places that, you know, other people might not want you to be. But as long as you can see yourself there, you can get there. So it, it means a lot. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Disney's always trying to think um, ahead and, and about inclusion and diversity. And I think it's just wonderful. Yeah. And I, I think they're really good at that. It's all, I mean, and part of it, some of it's comical because when you read some of the comments, which is always a danger zone to enter, but it, sometimes you just get stuck in that rabbit hole. But, uh, you know, uh, I think I saw one that said, oh, so now we can get a white person to play uh, Nelson Mandela. I'm like, but, but that's a real person. We're talking about a mermaid. I mean, th this is how ridiculous the argument has gotten. They take it way, way out of yeah. control. And I think of, yeah. the the original story. I don't. I, I don't know. I'm a Disney person per se. Of course, I, I've seen them. But the original story, Little Mermaid, was it um, literature first before it became a visual story? Yes. I mean, I think all of these stories are based on you know fairy tales and grim fairy tales and things of that nature. So it it was based on a book. I don't. It's not a book I've ever read. But um, but I know it is. Yeah. So, the, but the, and that's kind and of the point. So, if it's a, if it's a book, we don't know what Ariel was supposed to look like in the first place. <laughs> but we don't know if they described her as you know alabaster skin with yeah. auburn hair. Yeah. Um, you know that is possible that they did, and you know, and I definitely would have been fine if it had been cast with somebody with alabaster skin and flowing auburn hair because of course that sort of matches it but i think that this is special and perfect and i really um get wish her well i hope i hope this goes well for her yeah and i wanted to also point out and i, I guess i didn't i didn't learn this until today because again i'm not completely up on disney but um the first black princess was Tiana. I'm, I don't know what the story was. Right. What the story is. The prince and the frog. Right. Right. So, and, and this but is. But it was, you know, it was set in New Orleans and it, right. it did have a black flavor to it. Right. So. It was, th and that's the point. Yeah. So it was specific to the story that this, the, the skin color of the character was a part of the story. You, can, It's not really interchangeable. It was. Yeah. Absolutely. It was. And I even thinking, but, you know, the influence of Black Panther, for example, and it's again, it, you don't realize it unless you live it. And I don't know it, but I saw the impact even here where we are in, in Hamilton, Canada. Um, 
you know, youth groups organizing bus rides of black children to go to the movies and to watch Black Panther because of the message behind it, because it was something new and something that those children maybe weren't used to seeing. Something, again, like I said, we, uh, someone like myself could take for granted. I didn't know that happened in Canada. Yeah, we had it here um, too, yeah. It was that I'm glad to hear that. I really am because it it did mean a lot more than just a superhero movie. Uh, just to see the you know you you watched it with pride, you know, just to finally be able to see yourself represented as the best of and knowing that that was true all along, but that we never get to see it so very often. And that was like the perfect example of it. And so it's, yeah, it was wonderful that people around the world just flocked to it. And especially when they used to say, oh, you know, you can't have black leads in a movie because then when it's the global box office, it's not going to work and we won't make enough movie overseas. And it, you know, and it's mm-hmm. that completely was false right. as we speak. Leanne, Lindsay, yeah. Tinsel, and Tyne. Where where can we hear and see more of your stuff? Listen to more of your stuff. Where can we find you? Yes, my site is uh, the it's uh, tinseltine dot com. T i n s e l t i n e. Um, and I'm actually in the middle of uh, building a new website, so I'm really excited about that. That should be unveiled um, by the end of August. And then, of course, I'm on Facebook at Tinsel Tine as well, and uh, Instagram is at Tinsel underscore Tine. Um, I'm part of the Philadelphia Film Critics Association, or Film Critics Circle, actually. And, uh, yeah, I'm always on social media and uh, love talking about movies. Amazing. Leanne Lindsay, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. There you go. Yeah. I don't know. See, I do kind of know how it feels to be represented because when I, when I watch Danny DeVito act, I'm like, there is a short, bald man that represents me and I can feel a sense of pride when he's on screen, whether it's, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, whether it's twins or, or junior, it, it really gives me a special feeling. So I do get it in that sense, but obviously not to the level that uh, Leanne was talking about. I mean, you think of the impact in that sense. I mean, here in Hamilton, there were, you know, uh, youth groups that uh, specifically target young black children in this area. I mean, bus rides upon bus rides, uh, filling buses to go see Black Panther. And people said, Oh, what's a big deal? It's overhyped. It's such a big deal. Why do they care so much? I mean, I that again, I don't even know personally, but by the sounds of it and by what I saw, it does matter. When the movie Crazy Rich Asians came out, there was a similar impact on the Asian community that no one would have expected. Yeah, it's it's another movie, big deal. A lot of people of Asian descent were were saying that here is a movie that actually does represent us. We're not these like storybook characters and these caricatures uh, that we see in a lot of the, of the other, these token type characters in other movies. This is a movie about us. It matters as representation. And by the way, it's a mermaid. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, a, it's not a real thing. So don't compare it to <laughs> um, casting a white person as Malcolm X. It's not the same thing. That that was a person. That was a re- no one's saying that they should hire a black actor to play, you know, George W. Bush. No one's suggesting that. When it's a fictional character, you, you do get a little bit of leniency, and you get to offer a little bit of a 
representation to uh, to others. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Next guest is one of my favorite Twitterers, Jessica Scott Reed, freelance journalist. I mean, the resume is pretty impressive. New York Daily News, Toronto Star, McLean's, Globe and Mail. Uh, she is an animal rights and welfare plus plant-based foods. I I don't know if I want to say activist. Maybe. Well, we'll let her decide as Jessica joins the show. Hi, Jessica. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, is the word activist fair? Yeah, sure. Okay, <laughs> why did, not? I did a protest this weekend, so that makes sense. You're officially an activist now. What What was the protest for? Uh, it was against the stingray touch pool at the Winnipeg Zoo. Oh, very nice, very nice. We're going to get to some of that um, as well because Marineland, which is just down the road from us, essentially uh, is implicated by some of these. June was a pretty big month for animal rights. Unfortunately, it took this long for some of them to go through, but. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. I all week, all week, I have been just. I hate, hate, hate fireworks, especially now that I, you know, I have I have four pets. They're rescues. They all have anxiety issues, and you know, some are medicated because of it. Um, and I've been grumpy all week because I, 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 I'm behind on my sleep because of that Monday night when the fireworks started and they didn't end. I mean, they went, I'm up at three 30 for work in the morning and they were going all morning through the night. <laughs> and I thought I am done with fireworks. And then I saw your article and the title fireworks are awful is all I, I didn't even have to read it. I'm like, this speaks to me. Fireworks are, <laughs> are awful. But the, but the truth is, I think. You know the, the the stretches. I mean, pets, and you know, you talk about some some veterans and things like that. It's it can be traumatic. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't really think beyond sort of their own experience. You know, the joy of watching these things kaboom in the sky. Um, and I think what my article has done, uh, apart from also pissing off a lot of people, it uh, was that it actually. Um, show people for the first time other people and other animals and the environment that are all suffering because of fireworks and so now like for me I, like I'm, I'm like you I have a dog who suffers really really badly with fireworks so now with every kaboom I'm actually feeling bad and sad about the suffering of all these other uh, people and animals in the environment around us. Yeah, and you also mentioned that according to Veteran Affairs Canada, com- common symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder include, uh, you know, hyperreactivity, um, exaggerated startle response. So this this affects humans as well. That that loud bang can be traumatic for them. What about the environment is affected here? Yeah, so a lot of people don't really think of it um, as an environmental uh, risk as well. But essentially, as I say in the article, they're just exploding trash. Uh, a lot of the plastic and metals that are exploding with these fireworks end up, of course, as pollution on the ground, in waterways. Uh, and then there's also the air pollution. I read an article about um, in, in London, there was a celebratory thing where they had fireworks and they um, found that there was smog hanging in the air for days after, um, after these, these massive amounts of fireworks. And these are, again, things people don't really think about after the party's over. So what, what are alternatives? That was something I found really uh, promising in my research. Uh, the whole thing that started this was seeing how the city of Banff no longer uses traditional fireworks. They use different types of um, pyrotechnics, like from, from concerts, um, that actually aren't as harmful to wildlife in that area. There's also a town in Italy that's become very famous for using silent fireworks, or more likely uh, very quiet fireworks. Mm. And of course, like we saw at the Olympics, and, and now they have them, I think, at Disneyland, these um, animated 
uh, lit drones that are, are working in, in synchronization with each other, and it's all very beautiful. So there's lots of other things that we can use that aren't so disruptive. I like the sounds of that. Um Big month for animal justice in June. I just, you know, Parliament passed the historic ban on whale and dolphin captivity. Great news. I mean, and, and by the way, uh, Animal Justice, if you haven't checked them out, animaljustice.ca, mm-hmm. they do so many amazing things. It's great. But don't you get that feeling? You know, you celebrate, you're happy, and then you go, oh, but it's also kind of depressing it took this long. I mean, that's how we feel about so many things. We can say the same thing about the... Um shark fin importation ban that took, you know, many, many years after Canada banned actual shark fin uh, happening in Canada. These are all things that have taken a very, very long time, that have had to go through so many processes, been shot down very, very many times. And it is sad, but at this point, I think we're going to take the victories as we get them. And I think as our culture shifts in our thoughts towards animals, our compassion for animals, we're going to see these things speed up. At least I hope so. Yeah, and then, you know, Parliament passes ground ba- uh, groundbreaking bill against shark finning, which you, you mentioned, uh, animal fighting, bestiality. It took this long for that to, to, to be, for a bill to pass so we could be against bestiality? What, what takes so long with these things? I think it's just a priority. Um, un- unfortunately, up until, you know, a few years ago, Things that concerned animals just were not a priority. And to have these things done uh, before the summer, before, you know, time runs out, they just end up uh, low on the priority list. But you can see that this year, things like with the uh, whale and dolphin captivity bill and the the shark uh, importation ban, uh, these things made it up onto that priority list. And so now these things are getting done before everyone goes on holidays, whereas before these things may have just died out. Yeah, and I mean, like, there was a loophole in... in in bestiality in this country, only uh, penetration was considered bestiality yeah. until this bill passed. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's wild. We have to get you know, like how come we can't just say that it's all wrong? You know, it's unbelievable that these very small details need to be hashed out um, in, in such a, a way. You know, why can't we just say that this is wrong and let's all agree that this is wrong? It is, it is funny. I mean, it's just such a in the last even year or so. Like I'm thinking of you know Beyond the Meat, which. Beyond Meat is everywhere. I was at Sobble, Sobble Beach up north and a little like burger stand uh, on the side. They had Beyond Meat. And I, I was in yep. New York not too long ago and they had six different vegan type of patties that you could order at this burger place. So there's there's been a shift and it's happened pretty quickly. Yes. I mean, it depends who you ask. Well, I that's true. You ask, say the people at Animal Justice, that they would say that they've been working very long and hard on this. But Maybe for, quickly. Majority, it's, it's moved quickly yes. in the last year. It has been quickly in the last couple of years gone from, you know, one point to another um, when it comes to the food. And I really think a lot of it has to do with social media and smartphones and the ability to get uh, the truth of what happens on uh, industrialized animal farms out to the public, things that were so long hidden um, that no one ever really knew about. And now we're having activists actually go onto farms and live stream exactly what they see in real time. No worries about things being edited or doctored. This is real. And now you can see it right in real time. Jessica Scott Reed. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Jess L. Reed, freelance journalist, animal rights and welfare activist. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Still one of my favorite people to follow. And uh, I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Thanks so much for having me. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.